Today, we get to speak with another amazing homeopath, Dr. Philip Bailey. He is a classical homeopath and author of the very well-known book, Homeopathic Psychology, which has been in print now for over 26 years. He's also written two other very well-known books, Carcinosinum, A Clinical Materia Medica, and Lack Remedies in Practice. Philip first trained in London as a medical doctor and studied homeopathy at the Royal London Homeopathic Hospital, and he also studied with George Vithulkis and Misha Norland. He began practicing homeopathy in England and later had a practice in Perth, Australia for 18 years. I was very bummed that unfortunately our paths never crossed in person while he was here in Perth, but it was such a huge privilege to get to interview him on the podcast. So Philip's been invited to lecture on advanced homeopathic prescribing throughout the world to homeopaths and homeopathic students, and he's also trained in psychotherapy and family constellation therapy. He now lives in Portugal and gives online consultations in homeopathy and in psychotherapy. I know you're going to love this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we are hanging out with the lovely Dr. Philip Bailey. Welcome. Thank you. So lovely to have you on today. I am very gutted that I missed you while you were here in Perth um, because you are now, I just got it wrong. It wasn't Spain. It was Portugal, right? That's right. I live in Portugal. Oh, it must be magical. What's it like being over there? Well, um, in some ways it's like Australia because we have a lot of eucalyptus trees and the weather's a lot like Australia, but it's a much slower pace of life. And that's really why I'm here to, I'm really in semi-retirement and having a quiet life. It sounds brilliant. Now, um, Philip, how how did you first get into homeopathy? And you you trained as a medical doctor, right? Can you maybe just tell us your journey about how you discovered homeopathy? Yeah, I, I was a medical student when I discovered homeopathy, and um, I was already practicing meditation. And I got into a meditation organization that had a lot of homeopaths in it. So I started seeing homeopaths and learning about homeopathy. Even as a medical student, I was more interested in the mind than the body. So I knew I wanted to focus more on the mind, but I wasn't very attracted to psychiatry because it was so drug orientated. Um, so when I learned that homeopathy can treat the mind successfully and, and there was a big focus on the mental aspects of the patient, then I, I got very excited. And really, as soon as I qualified in medicine, I did my year as a house doctor and then went to the London Homeopathic Hospital straight afterwards. Amazing. Started training. Amazing. And I can't believe that there used to be a medical doctor in Perth that knew homeopathy. This that's very rare. <laughs> but now yeah, in Perth, yeah. I don't know what it, how long ago was it that you left? Well, I left about nine years ago, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, because I think I can literally count on one hand the amount of open minded holistic doctors that we have here in Perth, but it feels like it is growing a little bit. But um yeah, they they're very hard to find. Um, I must admit, I did. I haven't tended to mix a lot with doctors in my career for that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, can you maybe tell us a little bit? I mean, you've had what's it, thirty, forty years of practice behind you now? Just over thirty years. Yeah, thirty years. And uh, what's that been like for you? It's been a slow, natural journey, I guess. Um, slow in the sense that there's very gradual changes in in the way you practice, in the way you see remedies, in the way you treat people. When I look back on my old videos, because I used to record patients for teaching purposes, I'm horrified at the way I used to conduct an interview because I was just firing questions at them. You know, so in the early days, I was more mental and I would just 
almost like a checklist, just firing questions. And it's it's very embarrassing to to use those videos if I'm teaching. And then gradually you learn to listen more and more. And as you learn to listen more and more, you you sink into a deeper connection with the client, and that, and so you learn a deeper a deeper level of the remedy in that way. So in, in that sense, it's been a gradual evolution. And I think I read that you've been doing meditation since you were 17 years old. That's, That's right. Quite yeah. unusual. And right, right now I'm living in, a, in a, a spiritual community, so there's a, a lot of focus on just being. Yeah. Amazing. Do you incorporate that with your homeopathy? Or do you think they have a relationship with each other? Or? Well, if you come to a place of stillness inside, it affects everything that you do. So you're simply much more present and available. If you're if, if you're listening from that silent space, then you're going to notice more than if you're listening from a busy space. So really, that's the only way I incorporate it. Except that I also practice some um, counselling and psychotherapy. And so, if you're in the, a still space yourself, it's a lot easier to bring the client to a more still space. Well, healing can can happen at that still space a lot more easily than from a busy space. Mm, absolutely. Have you got any other practices that you incorporate in, into your sessions as well? Well, I, I, I separate the sessions. So there's a homeopathic session or there's a psychotherapy session. But within the psychotherapy session, I do family constellations quite a lot. I trained in Denmark and uh, Denmark in Europe in family constellations. <laughs> Not Denmark in, in Western Australia. <laughs> well, I lived in Denmark in Western Australia after I trained in Denmark in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> That's very confusing. <laughs> I, I love the, the bicycles in Denmark so much that I brought my, my, my Danish bike, bicycle over to Australia and then rode it in Denmark in West Australia. Oh, yeah, did you? The two, my, I think my two favourite places that I've lived in the world are Denmark and Denmark, you know, Europe and West Australia. Denmark WA is very special. I just went there on holiday a, a couple of months ago and there's just such a lovely vibe there. It's beautiful. That's it's amazing. Got, it's gotten really expensive now since COVID. A lot of people have moved away from Perth and down down south. Yeah. So, yeah, it's getting I think I was there at the right time. I was there about seven years ago. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like you were for sure. Now, you have written uh, a few different books uh, on a couple of my favorite topics, uh, homeopathic psychology, which is the one I've got here, and then the lack remedies. I love the lac remedies they're the remedies of just for our listeners remedies made from the milk of various lactating animals the lac remedies and the butterfly remedies i think if i had to pick favorites they, they would be the ones and you have also written another book as well um I, i've written a couple more books one is about mm-hmm. um carcinocinum oh, yes. but it, i self-published and it, it didn't you know i didn't promote it very much and then i've written a book really on more on self-help and psychology called i'll meet you there Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Carcinocinum is is that the was it particularly the the fifty eight tumor one the Tina Smith's one with fifty eight tumors or was that one that's just I didn't specify in in the book which one I was mm-hmm. writing about because I think there's a lot of overlap yeah, between the remedies uh, but but mainly I used the it wasn't the fifty eight it was the other one on breast cancer breast cancer yeah. just for our listeners that's the homeopathic remedy yeah made from cancerous tissue and I mean, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about the the remedy and why a homeopath might use it. I, I would say it's probably one of my most used remedies in my clinic. I sometimes mm-hmm. feel bad. I feel like almost every person is getting it, but it's one of those remedies I don't think I've ever had a client have an aggravation on. It's such an amazing remedy. I, I think I discovered it by accident, as, as you do when you you treat a you know you see a patient and you know that you don't know the remedy, mm-hmm. so that you study the case and then you realize. It fits, in this case, carcinocinum. So that's usually how I discover a remedy just by accident. But pretty soon I was finding that a lot of patients in my practice 
responded to the remedy. And um, so there's a lot of correspondence between the substance that the remedy is made from and the person that needs it, as usual with homeopathy, the law of similars. So a cancer cell is undifferentiated. And what that means is that it's lost its identity as a, as a liver cell or a skin cell or a brain cell. And it's becoming undifferentiated or kind of amorphous. It lacks identity. And this is the underlying kind of issue with the carcinocytum patient, that the, the sense of individuality um, or identity is weak. And because of that, for instance, they might say, I don't have any preferences or I don't mind, or they give way to other people, or they don't know what direction to take. Um, so that's a kind of underlying tendency. But on the outside, they can actually be quite strong. And, and so um, there's a kind of real uh, dichotomy with carcinocytum. I mean, if you think about a cancer cell, it's actually very strong in the sense that it can take over the, the whole body. Mm. And um, the person that responds to the carcinocytum remedy, they often have a tough exterior which protects this vulnerable and rather rather lost interior that where the person's searching to find who they are. On a physical level, it fits um, problems with the immune system mm. because um, it's the failure of the immune system which allows cancer to take over. And people with this constitution, they tend to either have allergies or autoimmune disorders or weak immune systems, so they get recurrent infections. Like, like for instance, they might have measles three times mm. in their history. But I very much enjoy getting to know the, the the constitutional type because I guess because I related to these people, I found there was quite a lot of depth and a strong intuitive tendency with the people that needed this remedy. And I always enjoy I always enjoy having the consults with people with a little more depth and intuitive faculty. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I end up prescribing that remedy so much because I only treat women and children in my clinic and the group of mums uh, in Perth here that I tend to treat, they are more spiritual and they are, uh, yeah. you know, it's a typical mum in that they put every, everyone else uh, in front of them, uh, yeah. you know, ahead of themselves. So I think that's why I probably tend to see, you know, a lot of carcinosis. And that's, that's probably why I also, why I saw a lot of, like cases for exactly the same reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us maybe a little bit about the lack remedies as well? Because I, I just love them. I can just listen to them all day long. But with yeah. your book on the lack remedies and the, the personality profiles of the type of person that might need that, can you give our listeners a bit of a sure. teaser? Yeah. So um, the lack remedies are made from milk remedies. So that includes human milk and animal milks like cat's milk or lion's milk. And um, I, I, I really became totally fascinated with this group of remedies. One reason is they tend to have a strong spirituality. Um, if you think about mother's milk, it's like the, the first sustenance and there's a very beautiful kind of giving quality to that, to that, that sustenance that, that the first milk gives you. And there's some correspondence there with idealism and with spirituality. So I do find that most of my patients that respond to the lack remedies have a strong spiritual sense However, sometimes it's more a mental spiritual identity than a, than a than a deeper spiritual identity. For instance, there is a tendency with lack remedies to um, find the world to be a harsh place, and so they retreat into a spiritual philosophy. And so the the spirituality can be rather mental. That they they read a lot of books on New Age, and it's not necessarily realized spirituality where they're dropping their their identification and going into silence it can be a lot more about learning facts other things about the likes the fundamental kind of wound in a like case is that they 
feel that they didn't have their mother's nurturing. Mm. And, and, and because of that, they're not able to receive nurturing. And so when you get this theme of being unable to receive nurturing, then often a lack remedy can help that patient. Even if the problem they come about is purely physical, they might come about psoriasis or asthma. But if you find that psychologically the theme is that they cannot receive support and nurturing, then often one of the lack remedies will help. Of course, one thing that makes light remedies really fascinating is that you have the animal side to most of the remedies. Apart from the human milk, the remedy has a an animal side to them. So lion's milk, there's, there are actual lion features in the case, which is really fascinating. You, you seem to have a, a mixture of human qualities and lion qualities, or or in the case of goat's milk, goat qualities and, and human qualities. And you really do see those qualities coming through quite strongly, like... I got very interested in dolphin's milk. And if you imagine someone who's half dolphin and half human, they have a really dreamy quality about them. It's like they're living in another world where everything is slower and is more mystical and dreamy because part, part of them is resonating to the dolphin energy, which is underwater. Everything is quiet and a completely different world. That's amazing. I can just sit here and listen to you talk about them all day long. <laughs> you do have an ability to really make remedies come alive. And I was just uh, reading through your homeopathic psychology book again last night before bed, just in preparation for today. And just reading uh, with like a podium, how you describe, you know, the car salesman and, you know, those sorts of things. And you're like, you can actually just visualize these people in your mind, like, and the way that you write about what this person will possibly be like or the types of jobs they will in, be into or the types of hobbies or the things that they will do. It really makes the remedies come alive. It is just so cool. I, I often think it would be nice to write a, a novel based on constitutions because you do get to know the inner life of the client so well. Oh, well, there is one called, I think it's called Revel. So I have actually just recorded this lady for my podcast. She wrote this novel. What's it like? What's uh, it like? I, I haven't read the book. I shouldn't myself. ask you that. <laughs> No, no, I only read uh, like she had like a little sample chapter that I read, and um, we're, the podcast will be released in, in a few weeks' time. But it is this adventure story, and there's a, this um, this evil queen Platina, and then she actually has the Materia Medica of the personality profile in her characters in the book. Oh, well, that's so cool. That will be a lot of fun. It's it's. Yeah. I, I feel sorry for Platina already because there's so many <laughs> sweet Platinas. You know, they they may have the occasional impulse to kill, but they're very sweet people. <laughs> It's not a remedy I've prescribed too much, but there was actually this case of where this woman just, yeah, yeah, didn't want anything to do with children at all. I was like, oh, I haven't prescribed this remedy very much. I'll just give that a try. There are another another remedy with a very strong spiritual focus. So, um, you know, there's the the positive side, but of course it can also lead lead to mania. So it's a mixed blessing. I guess that's the flip side with every single remedy and why, you know, like, Actually, as I was reading your book with the the like a podium, you know, the remedies can present so differently that sometimes I'm like, well, anyone could really be any remedy. It's really just, yeah. I guess, what you as the homeopath see that stands out in the case. Like, like how do you even go across that minefield? I didn't even prepare you for this question, but how do you differentiate? Like, it is so hard sometimes. And I know you actually have an online course that I saw you do where you actually go through certain mm. remedies and help people how to differentiate, but. You understand what I'm saying? Like it feels sometimes that any it's, person can be any remedy. Homeopathy is very, very difficult to do well mm-hmm. because you know we started off in the early days when I trained in homeopathy with about 35 constitutional types, which are the ones that I wrote about in the book. Um, 
But nowadays we realize there are hundreds of constitutional remedies. Mm -hmm. And really to practice homeopathy well is really difficult. You have to have a natural aptitude for for kind of feeling the essence or the energy of the client. Because if you go purely on facts, you're going to miss it. I mean, if you're very, very thorough and clever going purely on facts, then you might sometimes find the similar mum or the remedy that fits well. But mm. really, that's a very difficult way to do it. You you really have to get a feeling for the energy of the client and also a sense of the underlying issue, not necessarily the issue that the client's presenting. So it really is like a, a depth psychotherapy session that you have to get a feeling for the sense of what's what's motivating and underlying the, the client's search for for wellness or for healing. Um, so it's not something you can describe in how you do it because it's a, it's a, it's a send. For instance, I, I will treat someone with staphysagria, um, maybe 20 years ago, treated someone with staphysagria. And then a few months later, someone walks through the door and I sense a similar energy to that patient that I remember from maybe a year ago. And so already I'm thinking this could be staphysagria because simply because they have a similar energy even before I even, even talk to the client about the case. Um, so yeah, homeopathy is not easy to do and it, it really helps if you have this sensitivity to, to energy and a sensitivity to, to the deeper psychological themes. Mm, absolutely. Um, with the podcast that I've been doing, it's been such a privilege to be in touch with so many homeopaths around the world and see how people practice different. And there's this lady called Angelika Lemke who uses what she calls intuitive homeopathy. And that is actually getting me very excited where we're just getting back more with our intuition, like you're saying. But I think that's where the development of the homeopath is so important, you know, their own spiritual practices and meditations and things like that, because you could never learn the Materia Medica for 8,000 different remedies. So somewhere you're going to have to rely on some intuition or something. And, you know, people like the lovely Jan Shelton and um, uh, Rajan Sankaran and, and so many of these homeopaths are trying to make things a little bit easier for us. But at the end of the day, even still with that, there's still more remedies being developed every single day. Yeah, and um, one thing I'm finding is because there are so many new remedies coming out or information about new remedies every every year that almost every week I'm I'm discovering a new remedy still after 30 years of practice. And but this is the wonderful thing about it. You don't actually have to know all the material medical because I take a case and pretty soon it's clear to me I do not know this remedy because I don't recognize it. Usually nowadays after working for 30 years, I can recognize, oh, yes, I've seen something like this before. And if I if I know I haven't seen something like the, the themes and the personality and the energy of this before, then I know it's a remedy I haven't learned. And so then you have this wonderful journey of study. So, you know, even after 30 years, there's a constant study going on. And we have wonderful materials these days in studying a case. Particularly, I rely, rely a lot on the on the software I have, on the um, Mac Repertory software. So when there's a case that I don't know, you simply start studying and keep studying until, ah, Usually a penny drops, it might be after five mm -hmm. minutes study or after five days study, but then the penny drops and, and a pattern emerges and you see, aha, and it's, it may be a remedy you've never even heard of, never mind used before, but then you learn that remedy and that's why it's so exciting to be a homeopath. It really is. I'm just thinking, Philip, do you have any tips or tricks for the homeopaths listening to this? Because 
I yeah, I think being a homeopath, I, I always say it's the best job in the world. I think the listeners must be sick of me saying this. I really feel it's the best Ooh. job in the world because especially if you're somebody that's interested in the natural world and in people and all these sorts of mm. things, it's like everything mashed up in one. It's so fun, but it's also very challenging. There's so many times where I doubt myself and with all these remedies, I sometimes feel like I know nothing. And um, because there's just so much to learn, what sort of tips do you have for the homeopaths out there to, you know, still be practicing 30 years later? What what can they do to help themselves? I think probably one of the main things is to go in with an open mind because it's it's such a trap to go in with a closed mind. And we all do it, especially in the early years where if we know a few remedies well, then we try and fit the patient to those remedies. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> it's, it's so important. <laughs> We've all done that. Yeah. We, <laughs> we still do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I think I think that's the most important thing is to try and retain an open mind that you remind yourself you don't know what the remedy is and until it's obvious, even when it's clear, still keep an open mind. So that's the number one thing because you get a lot of people that are on paper are like a podium or on paper a phosphorus, but really it's a completely different remedy if you go a bit deeper. I guess the other thing is to be is is not to be in a hurry. Both in the interview, it's important not to be in a hurry, like to, to listen and to listen and not to do what I did in my early years, but firing questions, but just to keep listening until you, you start to notice patterns of language. If you just keep listening, let the patient talk and you give them a lot of space and you start to know patterns of language. For instance, um, recently I've had a couple of positron cases. Now that's a really fascinating remedy made from antimatter. Now when you say to the general public, there's a remedy made from Antimatter, it sounds ridiculous. And even after practicing homeopathy for 20 years, when I heard about the remedy positron, I thought it was ridiculous. I thought, come on, there's got to be a, a limit to what you can use as a remedy. And so I didn't use it because I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> and then I had and then I had a case where, you know, nothing would work and I couldn't find it. It was a case of very profound depression, really stuck depression in an older gentleman. And so I was repertorizing the case or looking up his the remedies that fit the symptoms and positron kept coming up. So I had to look at it because I could not find a remedy that worked. And as I read the information on positron, I, th I realized, well, it does very well and nothing else has worked. So I gave it and it did help his depression very profoundly. But what, what the point I was coming to was some of the words he used were very unusual. Mm. And it's these unusual words that the client uses, which could be such a, a signpost to the remedy. He was using the word trajectory which most of my patients don't use. He was saying the trajectory of my life, my life has not followed the tra trajectory that I, I wanted. And, and then, uh, then about five years later, I have another case that I think fits Positron, uh, a woman again with a lot of depression. Uh, but before I even think of Positron, she's using this word trajectory. She's saying, um, I can see the trajectory of things. It's like I have this sixth sense where I can see the trajectory where things are going to go. And I, I didn't I didn't remember the old case. I didn't think Positron. Mm. But working through the case, eventually I realized Positron fit and I gave it. And again, it worked profoundly on her depression and her anxiety. Now, what's trajectory got to do with Positron? Well, really the only people that use the word trajectory or the main people that use the word trajectory, apart from ballistic missile experts, would be subatomic physical physicists mm. people that um that speed up electrons and protons to fantastic speeds and bombard them together and then they give off matter and antimatter and then you see these spirals of tra trajectories when the the subatomic particles come off so there's a, a direct correspondence between the the language the client uses 
than the remedy they need, which is so fascinating. So that's another tip to really notice the unusual language that the client is using and then work out, well, what what remedies does this relate to? I actually find it interesting how often positronium comes up in repertorization. Like you wouldn't think that it would come up that often, but so often I'll repertorize something and it actually comes up in um, our use radar opus. But um, I've got the proving of uh, positronium. Uh, Misha Norland uh, said he had in autumn of 1997 while facilitating a workshop with American students, Chris Kuhns approached him and he said that he has got a vial containing antimatter. You cannot cannot be serious, he exclaimed, quite serious, he retorted, proceeding to edify me. Naturally, I said yes. So in February 1998, they they, made this, this remedy from antimatter I mean, homeopathy is pretty amazing. Oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> incredible. That, that reminds me of a, another tip when you said that, that it comes up a lot in the repertory. It's a very important tip not to give the remedies that come at the top of the repertorization automatically because usually I find the remedy the patient needs is one of the remedies a little way down the repertorization. So at the top you get the, the common remedies, the polycrests, and the ones that recently have been extensively proved. Mm. Like for instance, if the patient if the patient needs a bird remedy, you will get um peregrine falcon coming mm. top of the repertorization because it's so well represented in the in the literature. Mm. But usually that's not the remedy the patient needs. So so it's a sign that they might need a bird remedy, but not that they need peregrine falcon necessarily. Absolutely. Usually I find that I, I go down the repertory of the top remedies coming up until I find one that I don't use much or that I'm not very familiar with. And then that's the one I start studying. Mm-hmm. Or lacassis for the snakes or tarantula for the yeah, spiders. Yeah. Hey, but it's just like a little, yeah. I know that it's actually funny because now that I've got like 10 years of clinical, clinical experience under my belt, I actually find I'll, I'll do the repertorization, but I'll often give a remedy that's not even in the repertorization yeah, and exactly. do something completely different. And um, yeah, that's why I, I just love professional development and speaking with people like yourself, reading as many books as I can, because there's just so many differing, you know, thoughts out there on, on prescribing. Now, I know that you, uh, a lot of your work very influenced by Jan Shelton as well. You say that you um, really like his the work that he's done. Like, how do you incorporate into your practice? And and I know you say you use plant remedies, bird remedies, spider remedies. Talk to us a little bit about. Talk to us about it all. <laughs> <laughs> so Jan Shelton brought out this incredible, well, incredible couple of books about the mineral remedies. What was incredible was that he managed to classify every element in the periodic table. So that's like nearly 100 elements in terms of remedies. So each element is a remedy. And in the periodic table, you've got rows and columns. So every single row represents a different aspect of human existence. And every column represents a different aspect of human existence. And so, for instance, you have the the hydrogen, the hydrogen row or the hydrogen series, which represents unborn or one with the universe. And it only contains two remedies hydrogen and helium, and then you go to the carbon series, which represents just coming into birth and beginning to develop an ego. And so people that need these remedies made from the elements in the carbon series, the focus of their life is on developing an ego and developing a sense of identity, remedies like beryllium and lithium. And then you go down to the the, um, ferrum series or the iron series, and the focus of elements in this column is on work, is simply on getting things done and the value in their life. What they see as the value in their life is is through work. Mm. Um, and, and so I was blown away when I saw 
when I got this book on the elements because it's so comprehensive that literally every mineral and every element is a constitutional remedy. And and there's such a lot of elegance to it flowing from one developmental stage to another in human life. And, and so a lot of people felt it was felt it was so elegant, it can't possibly be true. Uh, a lot of homeopaths said it can't possibly be true, and they tried it and they said it doesn't work. But I, I feel that's just because they didn't try it long enough or with sufficient attention because I just started um, using his his book in, uh, as a reference for cases where I didn't know what the remedy was and felt it could be a mineral remedy. And if the theme of the of the client was, for instance, artistic um, artistic creativity, then I would look at the Silver Series and read Jan Shelton's remedies in the Silver Series. Mm-hmm. And very often one would 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 strike me as fitting the case well. And so that's simply how I learned the remedies through Shelton's work, just by looking at the themes, also by repertorizing, then going to his books on the minerals and the minerals and the elements. But I find it really does work. And the most initially the most useful thing for me <coughs> with Shelton's work was identifying the common um minerals, uh, particularly the, the, I can't remember what we call them, but the second half of the mineral, salt. So, for instance, we all learn as homeopaths how to use natrium muriaticum or sodium chloride and natrium carbonicum or sodium mm. carbonate, but we don't learn how to use sodium iodide and sodium fluoride, mm. sodium bromide. At least in the old days when I trained, there was very little known about these salts. Mm. So the greatest gift initially for me from Jan Schult- Schulten's work was learning how to identify bromide rem- bromide cases, mm. iodide cases, fluoride cases, and how to differentiate them. Um, nitricum cases, like, you know, I, I wasn't aware of what nitricum meant until I read John Shelton. But since then, I've learned that a, a, a natrium nitricum is just as common as a natrium muriaticum. Mm. So if someone's got natrium features, like holding their emotions in and being a perfectionist, they're just as likely to... to to need natrium nitricum, which used to be a very little-known remedy as natrium muriaticum. So it hugely, suddenly hugely expanded my my um, materia medica available remedies that I could use. Mm. Sometimes I would get a case that's fitted a, a mineral that wasn't even in John Shelton's work, but because of his work I was able to identify it. Oh, like wow. in, the, in the early days I, I had a case of a man who was very passionate and political, but also very hard and narcissistic. And I could clearly identify ammonium features and fluoride features, but Jan Shelton hadn't written about ammonium fluoride. Mm. And and when I looked in the literature, there, there wasn't anything written about ammonium fluoride. But I, I was quite confident after learning ammoniums and fluoride remedies that this is what the client needed. So I had to go to an industrial chemist and order ammonium fluoride. I was about to is ask, like, is there even a remedy <laughs> made from it? So you actually had one made. There was, well, there were, in those days, there wasn't. This was about 15 years ago. So I just, I made it myself. I went and I only needed a gram of ammonium fluoride, but I had to order a kilogram of ammonium fluoride <laughs> from an industrial chemist. It was a highly toxic thing they used to make fertilizer and explosives. <laughs> and I just took a grain of it and started triturating it and made a remedy out of it. And it really did work for the patient. So that was my first experience of purely theoretical discovery of a remedy that hadn't been written about. I'm going to have to go scour the records now and see if there were any bomb explosions <laughs> in Denmark WA 15 years ago. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anybody. And the, same, the, the, 
the same thing happened just recently. Now I do my cases online. And um, recently I had a woman in America who um, suffered a lot from anxiety. And, and by the way, although I'm mentioning a lot of these psychological cases, I do treat physical cases as well. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, she suffered a lot from anxiety. And just getting to know her case, it became quite clear that manganum fitted her case quite well, manganum being a remedy in the Ferrum series. Mm. And it, it often has a lot to do with humanitarian efforts. I often find my manganum patients, they will go to the third world, world and they will selflessly serve, like, rather like Mother Teresa did, just selflessly serve mm. the poor. And she had this quality to her, even though she wasn't doing that. She had this same kind of idealism and quality and empathy. She also had neurological symptoms, which fitted manganum very well. But... The other side to her case was completely opposite to Mangalum because it was wild and unstructured and intuitive. And and to me, it was quite clearly fitted bromium, that it was mystical and full of guilt and full of loose boundaries. And so, again, I thought, well, this sounds like Mangalum Bramatum. And, again, it's not in the literature. (laughs) Jen Shilton didn't describe Mangalum Bramatum. However, this case, I, I was able to find it. In the homeopathic pharmacy. Okay. So no more dodgy, dodgy online orders for you then. Ah, <laughs> uh, I miss that fun. <laughs> <laughs> Far out. It's, um, it's funny because Anna Vivak, uh, she was saying that, you know, she has these intuitive messages about what remedies people need. And sometimes, you know, the remedy is not like it doesn't even exist as well. And so she has to somehow come up with how do I find this in nature? Or if it's something like or, Venus that she needs to prescribe, how do you, you know, do you, you, you put you. You, you fill a vial with, with water and then when Venus is strong in the sky at night, you go and hold it up to Venus, I guess. Oh, I was wondering if it was a meditative proving, but that actually makes sense as well. I guess it's the same. I have no way. idea. I'm just making, I'm just making it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it honestly wouldn't surprise me. I'm at that point with homeopathy at the moment where literally nothing surprises me. If you, I mean. Well, they, they had, I mean, they did make the North Star that way, I believe. The North uh-huh. Polaris through light, through concentrating light through a prism from the North Star into the remedy of that is so cool um so philip i have a question for you which i get asked all the time such a hard one to to answer and funny or not funny i was asked it again today in my group of mothers i've got this little facebook group and you know we're always chatting about homeopathy in there and always get asked how do i find my constitutional remedy or a client will say to me you know i've seen you a few times what is my constitutional remedy and you know when i fresh out of college i would have said oh it's the one remedy that fits you but i got to tell you you know a few years down the track i'm like i don't know if there's necessarily a one constitutional remedy as such mm. but what what mm. are your what are your thoughts because i know like you, you read this home, this psychological uh, homeopathic psychology uh, book of yours that says personality profiles are the major constitutional remedies and what, what, what do you what do you think? Is there such a thing as a constitutional remedy? I, I'm going I think to I've always, to my clients. <laughs> I think I've always differed from the majority of homeopaths in that I do think there is a an underlying layer of a constitutional layer in yeah. most people. So I do think there is a constitutional remedy. Mm. Sometimes there are layers on top, and sometimes there are temporary states that may last months or years mm. where you need another remedy. But I do think there is an underlying vibration frequency of vibration just as we it was discovered that people that respond to sepia often have long straight black hair um for instance i do you know, really well con- on sepia <laughs> <laughs> it's a constitutional feature or yeah. people that respond to lacquers often have freckles and red hair it's really true mm. and, and and because there is a baseline constitution so i do think there is a baseline constitution mm. i just think it's, it's very very hard to find, find in some cases because we have hundreds of constitutions not just 30 yeah. or 40 
Well, that does make sense because you do. I mean, I I treat a lot of children and I tell you what, when a phosphorus child walks into my clinic, I don't even need to do a consult. I see their eyes and I know they're phosphorus and they will do so well on it. And same with a cal-carb, like, you know, they're very easily recognizable. And I have to say my, what I would call my constitutional remedy, I actually found myself about 14 years ago and I have used that remedy over and over again. And I've used other remedies as well, but that's the one that I always come back to. So I agree with you in that I think there's a main one. I wonder if these days the problem isn't that people have so, there's so much drugs, there's so much over-vaccination, there's so much trauma, there's so much everything. So maybe it's just like a layer thing, like there's just all these layers on top. So I I don't know. What do you think? There is, but I do find that, um, you know, the majority of people, for instance, of a lacrosis constitution who have had lots of vaccinations and trauma, they still respond to lacrosis. So so I think that in the majority of cases, the the constitutional remedy does cut through unless there's been a profound mm. trauma. A profound trauma might give you a layer of, say, phosphoric acid or or what, whatever that you need to treat. But I do find in the majority of cases, if you can find the constitutional remedy, it does cut through a lot of that that okay. poisoning. You know, I've got my dog here. He's coming. Oh, that's very cute. <laughs> He's very cute, black We're, Labrador. Uh, yeah, he's he's a, a lab staffy marema, and then I've actually got three of them lying around. Oh, <laughs> Maybe <wow. laughs> it's so gorgeous. <laughs> they usually, when I'm recording, they lie really still, but this one really loves kisses, so he'll come up. So cheerful. Yeah, oh, they're the best. Yeah, except for when they it's raining and they're wet and they try to come inside the house, but no, they're amazing. Yeah. They're just always up for kisses and cuddles. We have a black dog here in the community where I'm living, and sometimes we have musical evenings and yesterday someone was playing the flute and the dog just started howling like a wolf it was it was very beautiful exactly in tune with the flute (laughs) oh animals are so intuitive so philip i'm just wondering is there is there anything else you do to say here about plant remedies bird remedies and spider remedies do you want us to go into that a little bit as well well actually one of the one of the things um that's that's one of the challenges of of homeopathy if you get a case that you know is a bird case because Mm -hmm. you've learned to recognize bird characteristics, then it's a huge challenge to find out which bird remedy. Mm. Um, and the same with spiders. So it used to be, of course, that the tarantula was given far too often. Or, or um, I've been guilty of that. <laughs> we, all, we all have. Re- I, I do really appreciate the books that have come out recently by leading homeopaths on, on the spiders, the the um, birds. I can't remember that. Uh, I've got it here. Peter. Fraser's oh, on, Peter Fraser! Oh, there's I've I've got all his books, and apart from the fact that they're really cost-effective, they he just really narrows down all the uh-huh. main bits. I love it. Recent, recently, I had some success with a, a spider case that five years ago I I could not have got anywhere with because I would have got as far as it's a spider, and and then got stuck because there just wasn't enough differentiation mm-hmm. between the remedies, but. Having gone through again, I can't remember the author, but it's a book about spiders that I got as an ebook, and um, there's sufficient differentiation that I was able to identify the remedy. And, and this is a, a case of a person who's um, that they feel haunted by negative energies. You know, you get these cases where someone feels just haunted, basically, and she's less haunted now after taking this spider remedy, Arania diadem or paper cross spider. So it's amazing what remedies can do but you're asking about um other remedies i want to talk about yeah i, I think the, the latest um evolution of my practice is expanding the use of of um, plant remedies and a lot of the reason i've been able to do that 
is Mikhail Yakir's wonderful book, Wondrous Order, which blew, it was like getting Scholten's book on elements. It just blew my mind with suddenly about a thousand new remedies with a structure to how to identify. Mm -hmm. In fact, very similar to the periodic table with, I think it's nine rows and six columns. Mm -hmm. So um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm devouring it. And when I get a case where I, I can see I don't know the remedy, I'm, if I suspect it's a plant remedy, I'm certainly consulting her. But recently I had a case where I gave dandelion and um, I would never have had the courage to prescribe Duraxacum which is dandelion? Mm. If I ha if I hadn't read a you know quite a detailed synopsis of the of the characteristics of the remedy in in Yakia's book, mm -hmm. um, if you look at dandelion, it's more well known as a flower essence than as a as an homeopathic remedy. And if you look at the flower essence, it's about finally doing something for yourself, or finally standing up for yourself and following your own needs. And this very much fitted the case, um, but it, it was a case of a a man in, in North America who was totally dominated by his wife. He, uh, whenever I, whenever I took his, I, I saw him over several years and I gave him remedies, which helped a bit, you know, but didn't really get to the center of the case. And a lot of his case was about lack of self-confidence and lack of motivation, lack of direction. Mm. He was lost. And the, the remedies that I knew for this, these lost cases, they didn't work on him. They didn't even fit him. Remedies like, like, um, carcinocinum or phosphoric acids. Mm. Um, and every time I, I would take, every time I would have a, a consult with him, he, I would ask him how he's doing, how he's doing, and he said, "Well, my wife says I'm doing a bit better, or my wife uh -huh. says I, my wife says I should work harder on being a father for the kids." You know, it was kind of depressing to to see this man without any sense of his own autonomy mm. or or power. And um, when I finally thoroughly recognized his case and then referred some of the smaller remedies. To, to look them up in Yakia's book on the plant remedies. You know, Taraxicum was coming up quite strongly, which I knew almost nothing about dandelion remedy. And um, when you read the description of this of the whole family that Taraxicum comes from, which is the Astoralis, uh, the description in Yakia's book, it's about, a lot of it is about um, having a lot of inner resources, but being completely stuck in expressing them. So your your true wealth and... Um, inner wealth cannot come out, mm -hmm. and it's to do. It's often to do with a lack of relationship to the father or domination by the father. And this man had such a terrible relationship with his father that if if he was in the, in the city and he saw his father coming towards him, he'd cross over to the other side of the street, wow. so afraid he was of being dominated by his father. Anyway, um, I finally read Yaki's description of dandelion and realized it fitted him very well, and gave him dandelion and. And then I then I talked to him again on Skype about a month later, mm -hmm. and I couldn't believe it because having been a kind of down downtrodden, deadbeat energy for all these years, he was confident, and he, he didn't wow. mention my wife says once. You know, he was just excited about his future and full of energy. And it, it's so exciting when you get these reactions. That's absolutely amazing. So, uh, Philip, can you tell us a little bit about how people can get hold of you? if they want to make a booking or find out about your work or purchase some of your books? So the easiest way is to go to the website and you can read all about me and what I have to offer, read about my books. And also there's an email address at the website that they can use to contact me if they want to have a, a consultation, either homeopathic or psychotherapy consultation. So the website is www.drphilipbailey.net and the doctor is DR and the Philip is 1L. So 
drphilipbailey.net. Oh, yes, um, a 25% discount for people that uh, mention within the next uh, couple of months, mentioned that they heard about me and my consults through okay. um, the podcast. Okay, so let's say in July? Yep. 2022. Okay, so if you listen... If you're listening to this podcast in 2032, the offer has expired. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, Philip, is there any other message that you want to leave our listeners with about homeopathy? What's the message that you want to get across to them? Well, I guess there's there's different messages really for for homeopaths and lay people. So I don't know what proportion of you. Uh, Let's let's do one for each. (laughs) Each. Yeah. So for homeopaths, I would say never give up. There's always a remedy out there that works for the patient and just never give up researching that case until you find a remedy that that will help. Um, and for listeners, I guess the message is, is that, that homeopathy is extraordinarily powerful and effective when you find the right remedy. So if you're not finding that, then perhaps find another homeopath. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And and give that homeopath a chance as well. Like, you know, I absolutely. always say. It can take, a, take a, I mean, after 30 years, it can still take me a few prescriptions before I find a remedy that helps. Yeah, and yeah. there's so many factors to that. Some people will just give you more information than others. Some people just have more work to do than others. But it's funny because in a different Facebook group today, I saw a lady uh give away her 30 homeopathic remedy kit she said she's tried homeopathy she's gone for a consultation hasn't helped so she's giving up on it i'm like really if that was a medical doctor that gave you a prescription didn't work you wouldn't write off you know mainstream media you would probably go back to that same doctor several times and then to several other doctors before you write off mainstream um yeah yeah i guess i guess another thing i'd say to people seeking homeopathic treatment is be as open as you can because mm. the more open you can be with a homeopath, the, the more able they are to understand what remedy will help you. That is absolutely true. I, I completely agree with you there. Well, Philip, it has been wonderful to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Eugene. I really enjoyed it. And I think I enjoyed it more than I expected. Oh, yay. I'll, ta- I'll take that as a good sign. <laughs> 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 thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. See you.